How are you feeling today? It's a strange question to ask. We Anglicans are not very well renowned for our feelings. But hey, we're even doing live streaming, so who knows what's next? But let me ask you a follow-up question. Why are you feeling the way you feel today? I don't know exactly how you're feeling today, but having spoken to a number of you during the week and reflecting on my own feelings, most likely there will be a certain level of anxieties, worries, or frustration, and a general level of uncertainty and uneasiness about everything. It's difficult to find peace in our world today, isn't it? Authorities around the world say that we are in a war, a global war with a virus. It's an apt description. Tens of thousands of people are dead, more people are dying, and will die. People that we know and love, our neighbours, are losing their livelihoods. And there is no cure for this disease, at least for some foreseeable time. How can you find peace in the world that is at war? But it's times like this, we actually see the reality more clearly. And not only that, we feel the reality more truthfully. Actually, our world has always been a place of fragile peace. Uh, yes, there have been times in human history where we have enjoyed a certain level of peace and stability with a degree of success, but our world has always been a place of fragile peace, afflicted with sickness, grief, war, injustice. Our individual lives have been and are filled with sufferings and tragedy. The current crisis unveiled for all of us, for our world, to see and feel that all is not well with this world. That it is a place of fragile peace. Uh, for us, for those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ, I hope that the present experience has put a deeper and more eager longing and yearning for a secure, permanent, and perfect peace in our hearts. Uh, that is the subject to which the Apostle Paul draws our attention to in today's passage. The unseen, it's not seen yet with our physical eyes, but nevertheless, very true. A bit like the virus, isn't it? Can't see with our eyes, but it's true. The unseen, yet the very true reality of the perfect peace we have in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, therefore brings to our mind everything that the Apostle Paul has been talking, uh, speaking thus far in this letter. But the immediately preceding verse, I think, captures everything concisely. Uh, back in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, if you have your Bibles with you, have a look at there. Paul says, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our trespasses characterize who we once were and what we have done. We have broken God's law. We have rebelled against his authority. We were God's enemies. 
our justification characterizes how God sees and what he declares us to be as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection. The astounding new reality is that through Jesus' sin-forgiving death and death-defeating resurrection, God no longer calls me a sinner, but he declares me completely clean and perfectly righteous. Uh, Me, Hank Lee, with all my faults and trespasses, obvious unrighteousness and ungodliness, is declared justified, righteous, fit to stand before the holy God and enter into his presence. You know, if you know anything, even a little about me, uh, you will just understand what a great miracle has taken place. And the same is true for all of you who put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is why Good Friday is good. In fact, it's, it's the best. God declares all who trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior righteous. Uh, furthermore, through him, we now have peace with God. Uh, peace with God is not a subjective experience, as in when someone says, oh, I feel at peace with God. Uh, although it may come with subjective experience, that's not the main point. More importantly, Paul is referring here to an objective state of affairs. This is an objective reality, whether you recognize it or not, or whether you feel it or not at present. A state of war has ended. You're no longer in enmity with God, but reconciled to him. You have peace of God and peace with God, all through Jesus Christ. Uh, This war has not ended by anything you or I did. It's not that you and I sensibly decided to become a better person and start obeying God's law. Uh, Rather, the peacemaking was all on his side. God, who was righteously at war with us against my rebellion and trespasses and sins, have made peace with us through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. It's all and only through him. We cannot have peace with God without Christ. However you may feel at peace with God right now, you do not have peace with God if Jesus is not your Lord. On the other hand, however anxious, distraught, weak you may feel, or your present life experience may be, If Jesus is your Lord, you have peace with God. Perfect, everlasting, sure peace with God. That is your present reality, and nothing can take that away from you. Nothing, no virus, no death, nothing can separate you from the love of God, the peace of God in Jesus Christ. Now, what is more, verse 2 again, through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, Those who have peace with God are privileged to have a permanent access to God. Uh, Wherever you are, whatever your life circumstances may be, you can approach God. And you can be sure that God hears you and welcomes you by his spirit. 
We used to stand under the law of God and justly condemned for our trespasses. But now, we no longer stand under the law. We stand in his grace. We draw near to him with confidence. We call him our father. When we draw near to the father, we can now expect to receive his grace, his favor, his kindness, his loving embrace. This present reality of standing in his grace now spurs us on to look forward to the future when we will behold the untarnished glory of God. So we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, this is the glory we forfeited in that terrible exchange back in Romans chapter 1, verse 23. It's the glory, Apostle Paul told us, that all of us have fallen short of in chapter 3, verse 23. But it's now the glory we will share again, as Paul will later say in chapter 8, verse 18. When we'll be able to say, now I finally see my God. Just like when Adam and Eve once walked with God and enjoyed his fellowship, that day, That future is our hope and we rejoice in it. When the new creation will dawn, when the creation will no longer be subjected to futility, but there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more separation. When you have peace with God, you see, your focus does not only remain in the present circumstances of life, but your focus shifts to the future. You no longer simply live in the present. And that's how many people live in the world today. Present is where you find what you fear or rejoice. Your enthusiasm and feelings are mostly determined by what happens to you at this present moment. What's good living for tomorrow when you don't even know whether you'll be here tomorrow? Live for the present now. We have a culture of living in the present. And I think, hence, so much anxiety in our world today. Because the present reality of our world is not what we are used to. We're experiencing and seeing and feeling the fragile peace that we, our world has always had. The fragile prosperity in health and wealth. But when you have peace with God through Jesus Christ, your focus shifts. It doesn't mean that the present is unimportant, but your ultimate hope lies in the future. What gets you up in the morning? What truly matters to you this day is the hope of the glory of God. The confident expectation of sharing in the glory of God. Now, this hope changes your perspective on everything. Your anxieties, your worries, your dreams and aspirations, your successes, as well as your failures, and even your present suffering. So Paul goes on to say, verse 3, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. It doesn't mean that suffering is somehow enjoyable. It isn't. This is not masochism. It is rather the recognition that there is a divine rationale, divine purpose behind the present suffering. You see, suffering is the one and the only path to glory. It was so for Christ. Therefore, it is so for Christians. Paul says in chapter 8, verse 17, we are heirs of God with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Uh, Suffering of all kinds, of course, uh, affliction that comes as a result of Christian beliefs and ministry 
is highlighted, but also, I think, Paul has in mind all the suffering that comes from living in this present creation subjected to futility. The apostle goes on to say that suffering produces perseverance. Endurance, it's the quality that the word of God produces. He says later in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture, we might have hope. Suffering is necessary to propel us towards uh, making this character of endurance and hoping. That's what Paul goes on to say here, doesn't he? Uh, Endurance produces character. The word means provenness. Quality of someone who has been tested and proven himself as a fool. True, solid, and mature. And character produces hope. Uh, You all know this. When you have suffered and tested, you hope in the promise of God with every fiber of your being. There is nothing else to hold on to except the future hope of sharing in the glory of God. The hope of the new creation. Uh, That is what Abraham discovered as he held on to the bare promise of God. We're told earlier in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 19. But this raises a question. How do we know that our hope, which keeps us going when everything is stacked against us, is not a mere wishful thinking? Paul says, because God has given a definite proof for our hope. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our hope, our hope in Christ will never put us to shame. It will never let us down or disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit. This is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He indwells in our hearts testifying to us of God's love towards us. The reason our hope will never let us down is because God will never let us down. But where is the proof, you might ask again? Well, Paul says, remember what happened on Good Friday. Go back uh, 1,987 years ago or so to Jerusalem, to the hill of Golgotha, to the Calvary. And Paul says this, verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We learn a lot about ourselves and about God and his love in these verses, don't we? First about us. We were weak. We were powerless. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves. We were in need of a rescue. Not only that, we were ungodly sinners, wicked enemies of God. We didn't deserve God's rescue or kindness. But what do we learn about God? He demonstrates his love for us. You see, the essence of love is giving. Furthermore, the degree of love is measured partly by the costliness of the gift and partly by the worthiness or unworthiness of the recipient. 
the more the gift costs the giver, and the more uh, or less the recipient deserves this gift, the greater the love is seen to be. Measured by these standards, just how much has God demonstrated his love for us? For while we were still weak, at the right time, when we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. People rarely die for other people, Paul says in verse 7. And when they do, it's usually because they see some sort of value in the other person. A mother will die for her child because the child matters so much to her. A friend will die for his best friend because he is good to him. But that's not how it works with God. God's love is even greater than that. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still wicked, while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. This is why Good Friday is good. For God has demonstrated his love for us. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts. So finally, therefore, we rejoice. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, Verses 9 and 10 uh, are in parallel and repeat the same truth in a different order. Verse 9 starts with the past truth of our justification, then goes on to say, how much more shall we be saved uh, on that final day of God's judgment? Verse 10 starts with the truth of our present reconciliation, then goes on to say, if God reconciled us while we were still enemies, how much more uh, will he welcome us now that we are reconciled? Both is saying our future is guaranteed. Because Jesus has reconciled to us by his death on the cross. We have peace with God. We live in his grace and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Are you rejoicing in Jesus Christ today? No matter how you may feel, no matter how chaotic and unsettling the state of affairs in our world may be, Brothers and sisters, we can rejoice in God today. Because joy for Christians is found in the love of God. Joy comes when God demonstrates his love towards you. We rejoice not because life is easy, not because there is no suffering to endure, but we rejoice because while I was a sinner, while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. We rejoice this day in the goodness and love of our God through Christ Jesus. This is the message of Good Friday. Let me read it out for us one more time. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, 
But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day. Amen.